Our first reading is from the 112th Psalm, and if you'd like to follow along, it's printed in the back of your bulletin announcements. In preparation to hear these words, let us turn our hearts in prayer. Holy God, we give you thanks for these ancient words and for the lives who have carried them down throughout the ages. We ask that you would open our hearts and our minds this day that we might hear a word from you. Amen. Praises be to you, O gracious one. Blessed are those who reverence the Holy One who greatly delight in the Word. For they dwell in love, and their children will learn of peace and justice. Abundance and wholeness will be their heritage, and truth will be their banner. Light penetrates the darkness for those who face their fears. Love stands by them with mercy and forgiveness. It goes well for those who are loving and kind, who live their days with justice and integrity. They become co-creators with the divine. They bless the world with their presence. In times of trouble, they know not fear. Their hearts are firm, trusting in your loving, compassionate presence. Yes, their hearts are steady. They are not afraid. Even their enemies are blessed by their love. They are generous and give freely. The needy are offered shelter and food. Justice and mercy mark their home there, and their righteousness endures forever. The unloving are witness to this. Who knows when the seed will find a fertile heart? The fruits of those who love are a blessing to all. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. So a question, do you love what you think you love? Thank you, Sasha. (laughs) Do you love what you think you love? James K.A. Smith in his book, You Are What You Love, The Spiritual Power of Habit, contends that we are what we love, what we desire, and what we love may not actually be what we think we love. He writes that discipleship is a way to curate our heart to be intentional about what we love. He goes on to argue that to be human, we could say, is to desire the kingdom or some sovereignty or some dominion. And to call it a kingdom, he says, is to signal that we're not only talking about some personal private Eden, some individual nirvana, but that we all live and long for a social vision 
of what we think society should look like. Smith believes that we seek this realm either consciously or not, and he behooves the disciples of Jesus Christ to become aware of what social vision we are indeed working toward, to do a liturgical audit of our lives, if you will, to see what we love, and is what we love actually what we think we love or only what we hope we love? Hmm. I have been pondering this question in light of our gospel this morning. Which kingdom or realm do I honestly seek, desire? The one where all people are housed and fed and free, or one where very soon, very few consume and control most of the world's resources? Do I desire a realm or a kingdom where light exposes evil deeds, or one where people despise and deride anyone or anything that reveals their corruption or goes against their self-interest? Do we love what we think we love? what we profess to love, who Jesus tells us we ought to love. This has been a very hard week as we've witnessed more cracks in our democracy. It doesn't matter whether you like or dislike the person in the White House. It doesn't matter whether you think he's innocent or guilty. What matters? is what is the bedrock of our rule of law. And that is allowing people to tell the truth, to tell their side of the story, which was simply denied. A basic right of our republic was refused regardless of the outcome. What kind of realm are we building on earth as we pray each Sunday as it is in heaven? The gospel this morning comes right on the heels of where we left off last week. The reading of the Beatitudes with Linda. The blessed bees. Blessed be the poor in spirit. Blessed be those who mourn. Blessed be the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed be the merciful. Blessed be the pure in heart. Blessed be the peacemakers. Blessed be those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Blessed be you when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Do we believe these words? If we say we are Christian, we have to struggle with them. We have to contend with them. We cannot ignore them. You know, Jesus is giving us a lesson plan on how to be with one another. Basically, to really look at what we love. And is it what we say we love? Really love? We now pick up today's reading. It's printed if you want to follow along. You are the salt of the earth, said Jesus. But if its salt has lost its taste, how can its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything, but is thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. 
A city built on a hill cannot be hid. No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it under a bushel basket, but on a lampstand, so it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Abba in heaven. Do not think that I have come to abolish the laws and the prophets. I have not come to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, not one letter, not one stroke of a letter will pass from the law until it is accomplished. Therefore, whoever breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the society of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches others will be called great in the realm of God. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the sovereignty of heaven. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. In so few words, Jesus is able to say so much. And we struggle at times to say anything with way too many words. You are salt. You are light. Direct. Concise. Unambiguous. These are considered the germ parables because they're so small. And yet they're so powerful they can bring about transformation and change. Jesus is telling his disciples, his followers, that would be us, that we are the light of the world, that we are the salt of the earth. Nobody else but you and me. Jesus doesn't call us to be salt and light. He doesn't challenge us to become light and salt. He doesn't invite us to ponder the virtues or the qualities of salt and light. No, he simply says, you are light. You are salt. Now get on with it. He couldn't have been more clear. Now in our day, we take salt for granted. This was not true in the time of Jesus. In fact, salt has over 14,000, one Google search said, I'm sure there's more, uses. But in the time of Christ, it was so scarce and so valuable, it was used as money. In fact, Caesar's men, his soldiers, received part of their pay in salarus, where the root salt comes from, where we get our word salary. We know that salt in an open wound or soaking in salt water quickens the healing process. Salt was involved in Israel's covenant with God in the purification sacrifices. Sharing the salt became a way of referring to a meal together during the Middle Ages in England, where you sat in relation to the bowl of salt on the table signified your importance at that guest table. Salt was used to give brightness to lamps when it was sprinkled on oil. Salt preserves salt flavors. So we are told told that this is what we're to be. Salt. Not be, excuse me, are. Are. This is not an invitation. It is declarative, definitive, 
and pared. You are salt is not a simile like you're like salt or an analogy you're similar to salt. You and I are salt. Okay, I think you got it. We are to flavor. We are to irritate. We are to preserve. We are to heal. We are also light. Light illuminates, making things visible. Light stimulates, making things grow. Light burns, making things ignite. Jesus said, you are light, you are salt, right after the Beatitudes, so they're linked. To work for the sovereignty of heaven, to bring about this new realm on earth, is what we are to be about. Salt. Light. Which returns to the question, what kind of realm are we working for? And what is it that we love, that we desire? Do we love our neighbors as we love ourselves? The Christian life is always about expanding the circle, making it wider and wider and wider so everyone feels welcomed and at home at table. Granted, we mess up. Granted, we have fears. Granted, we have biases. But to say that we follow Jesus means that we have to go beyond our fears, beyond our biases, beyond our preferences, and offer a different way to be with one another. This is something our society is having a really difficult time with at present. So my friends, it's up to us. And I believe we have to start with the question, do we really love what we think we love, or do we just love our own opinion, or those who agree with us, or who look like us? Salt and light asks us no demands of us that we curate our heart differently. A small town off the east coast of North America, there is a small Canadian town known as Gander, 9,000 people. On September 11th, at 9.26 Eastern Time, the FAA, that's the U.S. Federal Aviation Administration, made an unprecedented decision to shut down the airspace across the continental U.S., forcing forcing over 4,000 planes to land at the nearest airport they could find. 38 of those incoming flights from Europe landed at Gander, swelling the population by almost 7,000 in two and a half hours. Imagine 7,000 people coming into your neighborhood or this church in a couple hours. For five days, five days with very little sleep, the people of Gander were salt and light, offering lodging, support, food, counseling, medical assistance, spiritual care, but most important of all, they offered welcome. They were salt and light. That's what the folks of Gander were for those five days. And for me, they are a model of a new sovereignty of God. They were the embodiment of Jesus' teachings, whether they acknowledged that or not, or knew about it. 
They didn't know the plain people, as they came to be referred to as. Not everyone spoke their language. Not everyone looked like them. Not everyone believed like them. But that didn't matter. What mattered is that they were human beings in need. And the people of Gander opened their hearts, their lives, and their homes. And it forever changed them. And it forever changed those 7,000 people who received that hospitality. If you ever have a chance to see the play come from away, do. It's based on the events of Gander and 9-11. I mention all this because during those five days, the people of Gander, Newfoundland, were light and salt, working to bring about a new kingdom of God. And this is our call as well to be salt and light is our call as human beings. More importantly, though, our call as Christians. Which returns me to my original question. Do we love what we think we love? This is really an important question to consider. For our answer has to do with our integrity, what we believe about ourselves, and what we believe about God. As we heard from Psalm 112, blessed are those who revere the Holy One, for they dwell in love and their children will learn peace and justice. Abundance and wholeness will be their heritage and truth will be their banner. Light penetrates the darkness for those who face their fears. Love stands by them with mercy and forgiveness. It goes well for those who are loving and kind, who live their days with justice and integrity. They become co-creators with the divine, and they bless the world with their presence. In times of trouble, trouble they know not fear. Their hearts are firm, trusting in God's loving presence and compassionate presence. Friends, may this be true for each of us as we heed Jesus' words that we are light, that we are salt. Amen.